Bless all you are in our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your entire people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. I want to reread the first three verses of the Haftarah, Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has arrived, and the glory of Adonai has shined upon you. For behold, darkness cover, shall cover the earth, and dense cloud the kingdoms, that is the people. But upon you shall shine Adonai, and his glory shall be seen upon you. Nations will, be, will go by your light, and kings by the brightness of your shine. This passage of Scripture is one of the principal passages that Hashem drew me to so many, many years ago, decades ago, in fact, that has always stuck out to me. And I was communicating, I've communicated with the Talmudim and with the Zakins as well, that I believe that we're seeing the fulfillment of this verse in our time, with Lapid Judaism. That this is the rise of Lapid Judaism. Since, since Shavuot, we have seen the rise of Lapid Judaism like we've, we haven't seen yet. Lapid, I founded the concept and the idea of Lapid Judaism. I founded Lapid Judaism in 2014. The winter of 2014 is when Rebenstein and I went to Jerusalem and had that kind of illumination, if you will, about what was God, God was doing. But it's not until now that has really become uh, the rising of it. And so I was looking at this passage recently and realizing again that Hashem is saying that nations are going to walk by the light. By what light? By the light of your, your rising. What is the light that we're talking about? It's the light of God, the light of Torah. Lapid Judaism represents something that is absolutely unique in the world, but I say unique, but it's not as if it hasn't happened before. It happened initially in the first century when Yeshua came as the Mashiach and led people not into a new religion, not into something completely new. There was, there's no New Testament from the standpoint of something absolutely new. He led the people into a renewal, a renewal of the faith of Moses, the renewal of the faith of Torah. People might ask, why is it then that God allowed the, the non-Jewish people to take it over and create something new and, and frankly, completely foreign? And that's so that nobody could boast because when we came out of Mitzrayim, we had the perfect situation. We have God. We had the cloud. We had the fire. We had the parting of the sea. We had all the miracles, and yet we still danced around the golden calf. And if the people who weren't born of Israel came out and said, we had the perfect situation, we had Yeshua, we had the Gospels, we had all this information, all this illumination, and yet they too danced around the golden calf so that nobody can boast that it comes to be God and God alone, that he can bring us back. I have a book on my shelf that um, 
I've read most of it. I haven't even had the chance to read all of it. It's one of three books I have that are just phenomenal, deep, deep, deep uh, scholarly insights on Jewish proselytization. And this book points out that there were periods of time in, in our history uh, where you had, I'm just going to call it, Lapid-like communities that would pop up. And I'm not talking about 10 or 20 people here. I'm talking, for instance, around Moscow. There were millions of believers in Yeshua who, did, who got a hold of the Bible and said, what are we doing? We need to go back to the faith of the Messiah. And the Jewish community embraced them because they were being persecuted so badly by the church at the time, they embraced them and taught them Torah and said that if it, basically, to paraphrase, if it wasn't for their faith in, 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 the, in the Yeshua, they would be like perfect righteous converts. That happened in Moscow. It happened in Transylvania. It happened in and around the Black Sea at different points in history. The re, so the question becomes, well, why don't we ever hear about it? How come it didn't continue? And that's because the church burned those people at the stake and buried them alive until they would abandon their faith. But now your light has come. We live in a country now where we can't be burned at the stake and we can't be buried alive. And they can't come and take us like the, the, the Gestapo because this is Texas after all. And so we had the perfect opportunity. We've been born at just the right time. That the light should come and not be snuffed out. There's nobody that's going to come in here like stormtroopers and force us to give up our faith. And only we can be talked into it only through our own demise. Shamed into it. On one hand, you had our, our Jewish brothers and sisters that says, they refuse to accept this. You can't believe in that guy and still be a Jew. It's absolutely absurd, ridiculous. Nowhere in Halakha does it say that. They refuse to call us Jews. They say, you're nothing but Christians. Christians, Christians, Christians. On the other hand, the Christians say, you're nothing but heretics. Nobody that I know that's a Christian calls me a Christian. I have pastor friends. They know he's not a Christian. That's for show. Both entities don't want Lapid to... I'm not, listen, I'm not bashing both. They're good people on both sides, to quote the president. I'm not bashing either one. I'm simply saying that neither one wants this to happen because that would make that exposed. Well, I've said before, everybody thinks that when Mashiach comes, that everybody in the Jewish community is going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks that when Mashiach comes, everybody in the Christian community is going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he shows up and he's not a Baptist. No, no, stay with me. When he shows up and he's not a Pentecostal. No, no, don't, hold on. When he shows up and he's not non-denominational. When he shows up and he's not, he's not Chabad, when he shows up and he's not Breslev, when he shows up and he's not a knock-knock, when he shows up and he's not reformed, everybody's going to be happy? Are you kidding yourself? Because that means everything you've believed up until this time, you've got to just take a stone-cold look in the mirror and say, I was all wrong. 
And this is why Judaism says today that when Mashiach comes, we all know we're going to be wrong. What we know about Yeshua was not only was he Jewish, but he practiced Judaism. We know that about him because nobody accused him of being a bad Jew, really. Even today in Judaism, they don't accuse Yeshua of being a bad Jew. You know that? They said the problem with, with, with what happened was Paul. That if you, I'm just saying. That Yeshua did good up until that. But I wanted to bring your attention to something. I want to start with this because I, something that Ahmet said. He said, we've been blowing the shofar and we haven't experienced a gula. Well, there's a similar discussion in the Gutna Kumash about the, the verse in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47. What's the most important word of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 1? If. Y'all didn't say anything. That's wrong. <laughs> if. If. You know why we, we have a, half the country today wants socialism? You know why? Because we ignored the if. If you don't work, you won't eat. We ignore the if. If you're not responsible with your money, you won't have any. We ignore the if. Right? If you want freedom, it's, you have to have personal responsibility. We ignore the if in our life, and as a result, we, we want to be blessed despite our action. It's where the grace message comes from. We want God to bless us no matter what we do. So this is why you have people today that 30 or 40, probably more like 50 years ago, that people that were in churches back then, would just they would be in sackcloth and ashes if they saw what happened today in churches today. Showing up on stages to sing praises a song with miniskirts on, tattoos all over themselves. Oh, Rabbi, you're being judgmental now. No, I'm just I'm saying this is how far we've fallen. Because we forgot the if. No rules, just right. We want we want everything to be like Outback Steakhouse and our religion. We want the burger our way. As I said before, he's the king of kings, not burger king. We've got to make sure that we, we put forth the right statement here. It's a time of teshuva. It's a time to get real, right? You say, well, I don't want to follow. The, why don't you want to follow God? Well, anyway, this is what it says. Simcha, joy, breaks through all barriers. It says, because you did not serve God, your God, with joy and gladness of heart. So this is the inside. It says, Simcha, joy, breaks through all barriers. This is also the unique quality of the Mashiach, who is a descendant of Perez, Peretz, and is referred to as one who breaks through. So the, the writer here says, I therefore offer the following suggestion and request, that we increase joy with the intent of actually bringing Mashiach and the true and complete redemption. So it says, throughout the years of exile, the Jewish people have longed for the redemption and prayed for it sincerely every day. In earlier generations, the main emphasis of the Hasidic movement was on the well, spreading the wellspring of Hasidus outward and not so strongly on the goal and the process. That is of bringing the Mashiach. 
It was known, he writes, that the object of these endeavors was to bring Mashiach, and from time to time this goal was spoken about, but the point was not the focus of the attention. It says, after the previous Rebbe issued the call immediately to Teshuvah, immediately to redemption, the emphasis has been placed on actually bringing Mashiach. This is the point of Lapid Judaism. You say, what's the point of Lapid Judaism? Just another denomination of, of, uh, or sect of Judaism? No, the point is about bringing Mashiach. Bringing the Mashiach from a biblical point of view. Which is what? Which is by reaching out predominantly to the nations to bring them into covenant. That's the, that's the missing piece. We're going to get to that in a second. It says, bringing Mashiach to the extent that every phase of our efforts in our divine service including the efforts to, to spread the wellspring of Asidus, needs to be permeated consciously with the goal to bring Mashiach. For this is the mission of our generation to actually bring the redemption. This is one of the problems when we have messages that focus on relevancy in our natural life. The Torah is relevant to our natural life. The Torah expects us to live life and be blessed in this life. But when all we do is teach relevancy, I'm going to just want to talk to you today about how to be a good person on this earth. We're losing the focus about bringing Mashiach. Our mission on this earth is not just to live here, it's to bring the restoration back to Gan Eden. You were sent here for that reason. You were sent here to be a commando to bring the earth back to the restoration. That doesn't mean away from Torah. It means back to Torah. So if you find yourself in a theological situation in which you're actively teaching against Torah, you're part of the problem. Because that's what the serpent did. He actively taught against Torah. He said, did God really say? We learn in this week's passage that it says, follow the voice of God. The serpent said, don't listen to the voice of God. This is why I'm so popular. It says, many decades have passed since the time of the previous Rebbe. He says, He goes on to say about all the activities that have happened, and yet Mashiach has not come. He said, there's no way to explain this. Our sages say all the appointed times of Mashiach's coming have already passed. Did you hear what the, what the writer here says? He says, everything's already happened that can happen. All the appointed times of the Mashiach's coming have already passed, and yet he hasn't come which means there's something of the mission left undone. We're about to get real. Not like we haven't been real already. There's not a single Jew, he writes, who has not had several thoughts of teshuva. So if teshuva is the answer, how come Mashiach hasn't come? We have an entire movement called Hasidism, which the main focus of Hasidism is, is simcha, joy. We dance, we dance, we sing, we have tshuva, we're keeping the mitzvot, and yet the Mashiach has still not come. What's missing? The answer is right in front of our face. It says, he 
the writer here says that what's missing is joy. But I respectfully disagree because, as I've just said, the Baal Shem Tov, among so many things, introduced joy back in the mid-1700s. What's missing is that over here in Yiddishkeit, we're all inwardly focused. If you're born a blood Jew, everything is great, everything is wonderful, you want to convert, eh, you don't really have to, be a Noahide, everything will be fine. You really, really want to convert? Eh. All right, you want to convert? Fine. Uh, you've got to jump through hoop 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15, 20, and 35, and that's meant to put you off. I'm focused on born Jews. Are you Jewish? No, you're not? Okay, bye. You Jewish? Yeah, a rat feeling. Over here in the Christian area, it's like you want to get circumcised? Don't do that. Don't do that. It's against God's will. You want to follow Torah? You trample grace underfoot. Stay, stay a non-Jew. Stay a Gentile. That's what God wants. You're Jewish? Keep Christmas. Jewish? Keep Easter. Jewish? Eat ham sandwich. Tell me it's not true. Christian worship on Sunday. I mean, excuse me, Jewish worship on Sunday. The one new man is a Gentile over here. The one new man over here doesn't exist. Nobody's going after the nations. You say, well, the Christian church is going after the nations. Yeah, but not according to God's pattern. So what's missing? There's nothing over here that says we need the nations to come into Torah just like Abraham taught. See, so you've got to go all the way back to the founder of the faith. And what did the founder of the faith and his wife do? He said they went around and encouraged the nations to come into Torah. You know, he didn't go around asking anybody if they were to be a Noahide. There was no Messianic Jewish theology, Gentile theology back then. No, I'm serious. I've got, listen, I've got books, the top scholars on this topic. You can't even find these books anymore. They're, literally, Shlomo tried to find them. They're gone. I've got one of the few original copies on my shelf. At no time in history are, not, are Jewish people out there trying to find Noahides and Messianic Gentiles. Never, never happens, ever happens. Not even in, Paul didn't do it. Because Paul said, it's not what circumcision or uncircumcision that matters, it's keeping the commandment that matters. The problem is, people say, see, don't get circumcised. But see, the problem is circumcision is a commandment. <laughs> what is he trying to say? He says it doesn't matter how you're born, born here or born there. What matters, you come into covenant. Covenant is what matters. Covenant involves circumcision. This is the missing piece. This is why the light is shining right now. This is what's going to bring Mashiach. What's going to bring Mashiach is when we start teaching this gospel. Yeshua said when this gospel is preached. Y'all know what I mean by that. This gospel, not the one we made up, but the one he has. Because listen, with, with TBN and CBN and KYN and LBN and OIN and all the N's, 
even when you're in, in Israel and you're driving down the, the freeway to go to the Dead Sea and you see the Bedouins out there in their shanty tents, at night there's the glow of a television in there. Oh, yeah. You're driving down and there's, there's, there's literally looks like a bank, you know, looks like a, just a, a, a little sh- uh, shack and it's got a, a blue tarp as their tent. Nighttime coming back from the Dead Sea, and there's the glow of the TV. They're watching TBN. I don't know if that's true, but the fact of the matter is, there's televisions everywhere. You've got you've to pull out a magnifying glass and put it up to the Hubble telescope to find somebody who's not heard the gospel. Even the Indians in the deepest Amazon village. My wife's been there. Before we got married, she's been to those missionary trips there in Ecuador. Came back with a little blue stripe across her forehead and all that kind of stuff. She's been there. There's nobody anywhere that hasn't heard the gospel. So when people say, well, the gospel, when this gospel is preached, well, it's been preached and he still hasn't come yet. So either he's a liar, Hasve Shalom, or we've got the wrong message. It can't be both be right. No, Rabbi, there's somebody somewhere. Where? You don't know where. You're making that up. <laughs> there's somebody somewhere behind this leaf over here. It hadn't hurt. He didn't say every single person. He said when it's been preached to the four corners of the world. It's uncomfortable, I know, but... See, because nobody likes to believe that what they've taught and been taught their whole life might be wrong. But when you're able to confront that reality, that's when you'll be healthy. Golly. It's tough to grow a ministry this way. Listen, I'm nobody special, and really, I'm not really all that. I'm really not. i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I can tell you right now, though, I preached messages today that 25 years ago I was preaching the exact opposite. I believe stuff today that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I believe the exact opposite. used to make fun of a lady... <laughs> who was converting to Judaism, used to make fun of her and offer her a ham sandwich. I used, to, I used to do that. Not anymore. See, because when we can't look truth square in the face and admit that we're wrong, then we just become an arrogant liar. It's rough, isn't it? But this is where teshuva gets real. See, we think about teshuva, oh, God, forgive me. Lord, I believe in you. No, no, you've got to really get down deep. Say, but Rabbi, I've, I've put my whole life in this. i put my whole effort into it. I, I've gone to school. I've got papers. All, I know I did, too. I, I've, got them, I've, got two, I've got those, too. I got, I got ordained in front, as a Christian pastor in front of over 1,200 people one day. Big, glorious ceremony. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not going to say by who, but I don't care if you know. Phyllis Craig and Dean. You know Phyllis Craig and Dean? 
Dan Dean was my pastor. Dan Dean laid hands on me and anointed me to be a pastor. I'm good. I'm friends with Dan. I haven't talked to him in years, but his father, Bishop DeHart, was my mom's pastor for a while. 1,200 people, big old church. And I was wrong, dead wrong, on so many things. Some people look at that as a, as a failure. I look at it as a, as a journey. <clears throat> I thank God for that experience because now I can speak to that and say, I totally understand. I totally get it. Been to Bible school and all that. Oh, yeah. Back when they had tapes. Cassette tapes. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kireshanu b'mitzah v'tzivanu, amikra megillah. Turn to the, the Megillah of Kohelet. Chapter 7, verse 9. That was just an introduction, yeah. <laughs> it's good though, right? Y'all still with me? Don't leave me. I mean, I'm going to keep going even if you do, but don't, don't leave me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to quit. Y'all going to quit? I'll never quit. I don't, I don't, I'll never quit. I'm already committed. I'm already in it. I'm in it to win it. Somebody say, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave unless you start teaching different. Leave. I'm going to take my tithe with me. Bye. See, because God didn't, this is not here because, you know, because of you. It's not even here because of me. If God forbid I lose my ever-loving mind, may it not be so, somebody else take my place in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Don't ever think you're so needful to the kingdom that you can't be replaced. So I taught, I used to teach that to our officers when we used to have officer and NCO meetings. I used to teach that to our officers. Never think that you're so brilliant that you can't be replaced because the minute that you think that, he'll replace you. Just know that. Believe that. Trust that. You say, oh, because I can't tell you how many people we've had to leave this place thinking that the building's going to collapse as soon as they walk out the door. Only for it to thrive more. Because they were the problem. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 9. God is good. Amen. Oh, Everybody got your scone? Everybody got your hot coffee? All right, here we go. Six flags over Yeshua. <laughs> verse 9. Do not be hastily upset, for anger lingers in the bosom of fools. Do not say, how was it that former times were better than these? For that is not a question prompted by wisdom. We shouldn't look back and say, I wish I lived in yesteryear. I do this all the time, but we really shouldn't do it. I wish I lived in yesteryear because it's better than today. No, God put you here today to fulfill your mission today, not yesterday. I wanted to be a general in Napoleon's army. 
Reficine said, you would have lost. I said, but I would have lost well-dressed. <laughs> it says, wisdom is good with inheritance and, and a boon to those who see the sun. For to sit in the shelter of wisdom is to sit in the shelter of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Observe God's doing, for who can straighten what he has twisted? Be pleased when things go well, but in a time of misfortune, reflect. God has made the one as well as the other, so the man should find nothing after him. You're doing good? Rejoice. Things are going bad? Reflect. Look in the mirror and say, why are things going bad? What do I need to learn? Difficult message, but it's true. Verse 15, I have seen everything during my futile existence. Sometimes a righteous man perishes for all his righteousness, and sometimes a wicked man endures for all his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous or excessively wise. Why be left desolate? Be not overly wicked, nor be a fool. Why die before your time? It's best to grasp the one and not let go of the other. He who fears God performs them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. For there is no man so wholly righteous on earth that he always do, does good and never sins. You, y'all catch that? Nobody does perfect. In fact, when we get to Rosh Hashanah, if you have a Mokzor, if you don't have a Mokzor for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I, w- I want to ask you to get one. Get the set. Invest in the set for two reasons. Number one, it's, it's so educational and so chock full of wonderful things. And number two, we're not going to make slides, right, LL? <laughs> and if you don't have a Moxor, for whatever reason you can't get one, just say amen after everything we say. But you'll find at Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur that we do not put our faith in our Torah keeping. We do not, the whole idea, the whole message that Jews believe that the law saves them and we believe something else is a complete lie. Judaism does not teach salvation by the law. It actually teaches salvation by the son who was bound by his father. Because at the end of the day, when we come to the day of judgment, when all the chips are on the proverbial table, We ask God, don't remember our sin. Remember the offering of Isaac. Now, of course, with Judaism, we would say the offering of Yeshua, who's the second son offered. But the point being is that our faith is in the Akedah, not in our effort. Why? Because there's no one who's perfectly righteous and has us. Nobody, aside from what thousands think, not even me. Nope, laugh, honey. You're supposed to keep the facade then. (laughs) Moreover, pay no attention to everything men say, lest you hear your own servant disparaging you, for your own conscience knows that many times you yourself have disparaged others. All this I tested with wisdom. I thought I could become wise, but it's beyond me. What existed is elusive and so very deep. Who can fathom it? 
So I turned my attention to study and probe and seek wisdom and reckoning and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness which is madness. And I've discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and and nets. Her arms are chains. He who is pleasing to God escapes her, but the sinner is caught by her. See, this is what I found, said Kohelet, adding one to another to reach a conclusion, which yet my soul seeks, but I have not found. One man in a in a thousand I have found, but one woman among them I have not found. But see this I did find. God has made man simple, but they sought many intrigues. I want to go back to the ninth verse where it says, Do not quicken your spirit with anger, for anger abides in the breast of fools. Anger is one of those really, really bad midot, one of those really, really bad traits that we all need to work on And we all need to make sure that we're not people who are easily angered, have a hot temper, fly off the handle. And if that is a a problem that we deal with, then we need to deal with it. Now, because Menashe and I will tell you that when we go downtown, the vast majority of the reason that the men are in that facility, (coughs) those facilities, is due to anger. At some point. Most of them. Not every single one, but most of them. It says in Mamalwez to this verse, it says, An angry man is soon hated in his own house. An angry man is soon hated in his own house. It is the discretion of a man to be slow to anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. This is from... Proverbs 19.11. It says, a, a, a man of great piety was on his deathbed, and he said to his son, Just as you have honored me in life, honor me also after my death by heeding my command. Suspend your anger for one night and constrain your spirit to keep silent when you are angry. In other words, when you feel anger, when you feel frustrated, when you When you feel like you're about to get mad, don't. Just stop and don't get angry. Suspend it for one night. Don't let it overtake you. Let your words be few, like Solomon said earlier when we studied this. Let your words be few. Just close your mouth. Count to ten if you want to, whatever, but control your anger. It says, the scripture says, the fool in the day knows his anger, Proverbs 12, 15. Because he's not wise enough to suspend his resentment overnight, he knows his anger the same day. That is, his anger overtakes him even though he's trying to control it. It says, on the Sabbath especially, one must be careful to avoid anger. It is particularly bad, my friends, if we have fits of rage or anger during a Shabbat or a Yom Tov. That is, a, that is a particularly wicked trait. Why? Because as it says in, in Mamluez quotes, Exodus 35.3, you should not kindle a fire at all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. To get angry on the Shabbat is, is to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. And we must be very careful not to get angry even on the Shabbat day, especially on the Shabbat day. Rambam writes to his, in, in a letter to his son, 
He says, accustom yourself to speak gently to all people at all times. This will protect you from anger. Let's just dwell on that for a second. During this time of teshuva, Ramban is telling his son, accustom yourself, practice speaking gently to all people at all times. Speaking gently to, when you feel frustrated even, just to take a step back and try to speak gently. To all people, that means everybody deserves your respect and your courtesy. And at all times. At every single time, no matter what's going on, accustom yourself to speak gently to all people at all times. It says, this will protect you from anger, a most serious character flaw which causes one to sin. Anger leads to sin. That's why we said when we go downtown, talking with different people about why they're there, in almost every instance it has to do with some type of anger episode. Just like recently, we read in the news where some parents were at a peewee football game and the parents got into an argument. And so the one mother called her son and the son showed up at the game with a gun and started shooting people. Thank God nobody was killed, but a 12-year-old was grazed by a bullet. Why did that happen? Because of anger. Watched, there was another episode that happened in, uh, sometime fairly recently in New York where two women were walking in a subway. And one for one, we don't know what the cause of the argument was, but the one woman decided that she was angry at the other woman. I don't know, maybe she got in front of her at the line or who knows, probably something stupid like that. And the lady who was angry decided she was going to take out a can of pepper spray and spray the woman in the face. She kind of missed. So meanwhile, the woman who was sprayed in the face reached into her purse, took out a knife, and stabbed the woman to death. The woman lost her life that day. Why? Because she was angry, probably over something dumb. Maybe the lady cut her off. Maybe she talked ugly to her. Who knows what? The lady, when she was attacked, was on the cell phone acting very nonchalant. Probably didn't even know she did anything based on the video that I watched. This is what anger does. It says, accustom yourself to speak gently with people. A most serious character flaw is anger, and it leads one to sin. It says, a rabbi said, whoever flares up in anger is subject to the discipline of Gehenna. As it is written in, in Ecclesiastes 11.10, banish anger from your heart and remove evil from your flesh. Rabbi Menachem Mary relates the following story in his Sefer Hamidot as a defense against anger. So there, was, there was once a righteous king who had but one major fault. He was easily angered. To overcome this tendency, he wrote three lines on a sheet of paper and appointed one of his servants to show it to him whenever he started to grow angry. The first line read, Always remember that you are merely a creature and you yourself are not the creator. The second line said, always remember that you are flesh and blood and will eventually perish. 
The third line said, always remember that there will be mercy for you in future only if you have mercy for others. Why did he write those first two lines and even the third line? Is because anger is, the, the root of anger is pride. We think that we're all that and the proverbial bag of chips and therefore we have something to get angry about. And it's something we all have to deal with on various levels. This is why it's one of the primary topics of the drosh today because it's so important. Anger gets us into trouble so many times. It runs our whole life. It can run our whole family. Anger could land you in prison for the rest of your life. Or it could cause your family to be ripped out of a community and dashed upon the rocks of nothingness because you got angry and couldn't control your rage. Anger could end your marriage. It could end your friendships. It could end your job. It could end your life. It could end your relationship with God. And as we're about to find out, it could lead you into idolatry. In the letter to the ages that talks about Rambon's letter, it says this, Anger is not only an individual character trait, it is a barometer of personality as well. A wise man advised, before you take someone as your friend, observe him when he's angered. His conduct under pressure will tell you volumes about his true nature. When a person consistently loses his temper, he loses his rationale sense as well. The very basis of his relationship with God can become endangered, for there is nothing to restrain him. Thus the Talmud in Shabbos 105b says, the man who loses himself to anger is considered to have, been worshipped, to have worshipped idols. When a person becomes unrestricted, he approaches idolatry. Unable to think clearly, the man who is lost in fury loses perspective. The crooked path appears straight, the forbidden seems permissible. Insults, quarreling, and slander are no longer distant from him. Although an otherwise sensitive man, the angered person may, in his fury, come even to humiliate others in public. When no longer guided by reason, even the most unspeakable acts can come within reach. This is what, that was all a quote from the Hafez Heim. All a quote from the Hafez Heim. What about quarrels on the internet? There's a statement in here in the comments to the Ecclesiastes. This is to chapter 7 and verse 7 where it says, For oppression makes the wise foolish, and a gift corrupts the heart. For oppression makes the wise foolish. For oppression makes the wise foolish. For oppression makes the wise foolish. This is the comment to this verse. The provocations with which fools provoke the wise, such as the taunts of Dathan and Abiram against Moses, Cause the wise man wisdom to depart from him. And the fools eventually provoke the Holy One, blessed be he. Thus the wise man should keep far away 
from the song of fools. That means by involving himself in debates with fools, his own wisdom will suffer. When you, when you are insulted, and somebody insults you online, in person, that's the song of fools. To debate with them, to get into an argument with them, to challenge them, to get down into the gutter with them, is only to engage with fools in their music and thus lose your wisdom. Which is why I say better to block them, better to ignore them. Some of people very often, especially recently with the rise of Lapid, Rabbi, Rabbi, so-and-so is saying this, so-and-so is saying that, look at this. What are you going to do? Nothing. Why? There's a song of fools. But they're saying this and they're saying that. Look, my life is an open book. You want to know about me? Not, not hard to find out. There are, I don't know, probably by this time, thousands of hours of teaching online spanning many, many, many years. I know hundreds of people. I've been vetted by I don't know who. And if someone is so foolish that they're not willing to do the research, then what, what can I say in a tweet? I'm not really a bad guy. What he said wasn't true. What who said? Idiot over there. Who? Now 4,000 followers are looking at goofball. Whereas before he had five people that were saying, yeah, man, thumbs up. I don't like that guy. Now, the best way to deal with people like that is to block, erase, and keep the steam train rolling. Like I've said, people that say it can't be done are usually interrupted by those who are doing it. Do you know how many people I've had on both sides of the fence, Jewish and non-Jewish, who've said to me, what I'm doing is completely wrong, it has to stop, it can't go on, nobody's done it, it can't happen, it must, you must end today, you're a liar, you're a fake. Both sides of the fence, you're a fake, you're a funny, blah, 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 blah. Even, and then oh, let's not forget the, the Messianics who, 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 who parachute in like the 101st Airborne. No, he don't have any speaker. He's the fake Jew. He don't speak of the hippo. I grew up in a Jewish home. Of course, we didn't do anything in that home, but it was Jewish. You ate the same chocolate bunny I did. Who are you talking to? Dipped it in peanut butter, too, without the hexure, just like I did. You know, the best way to deal with such people is continue being who you are, who's God called you to be. Because like Mikael said, they didn't bring me in the covenant, therefore they can't take me out of the covenant. Right? So that's the best way to just move on. Elijah the prophet said, if you never come to anger, you will never come to sin. Barakot 29a. 
The Da'at Chakam Musar, volume 3, page 20 and 252, says this, The angry man is powerless to avoid sin and lays himself open to its devastating consequences. The burning emotions of anger, depression, and frustration are their own emotional hell. Midrash Rabbah Kohelet to this verse, Do not be hastily upset, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. It says, Rabbi Yudan said, In accord with what the spinner winds in his own spindle, so will be his end result, and that is what he will take off his spindle. In other words, if you constantly wind the spirit of anger in your life, you will end up with a spool of anger. It says here, when the kettle boils over, it pours out on all the sides. If you let yourself boil over, you're going to be burned by the water. Anyone who spits up in the air, the spittle will fall back on his own face. This is what happens to people that are caught up in the spirit of anger. We have to avoid anger. We have to, we have to endure I can't stress enough how important this is because I've seen anger ruin a lot of lives. I've seen it ruin a lot of relationships. And it's important that we all work on it, that we all take this message to heart. There are so many great insights in, in this particular passage. We, we read a second ago about about uh, don't listen to what other people say about you. This is, I'm just going to conclude with this sage advice. It says, it says in verse 21 and 22, Moreover, pay no attention to everything men say. Do not be receptive, Metzudat David writes, to the evil talk of others about yourself. It says, Let's, lest you hear your own servant disparaging you. That is, if you pay attention to what others say about you, you'll discover that your own servant is speaking disparagingly of you. Therefore, ignore such talk and spare yourself anger and vexation. And here's where it all comes home to roost, right here, because you just have to just say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on what others are saying to me if I... If I constantly seek what others are saying to me, first of all, that's a sickness in and of itself. Wanting the approval of others is a sickness unto itself. It's to constantly want the approval of others. It has prevented many people from following the truth. Well, if I stand up and tell everybody, hey, we've got to adjust our theology, half my congregation will leave. First of all, you have no faith in God. First of all, don't they respect you as a leader? And, third, or, and thirdly, so what? I thought we were in the do what's right business. Or are we just building an empire? I forget. It's not an easy road. But don't listen to what people say. Why? Ultimately, it comes down to this. Because you yourself have spoken disparagingly about others. And it says here, we are guilty of the very same misdeeds. So why should we grow angry when we hear others talk about us? Hashem, help us. Help us, Adonai, not to be people of anger, 
Help us to be people who don't quit. Help us to be people who acknowledge our own faults and try our best to overcome them. And help us to be people who overlook the faults and failures of others. And we say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai.